I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing, rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Welcome everybody to Ditch Digger CEO. And uh, man, am I excited about this one. I'm, I'm totally stoked about this one, Q. Me too. Oh yeah. You know this guy, and I and I know this guy like a brother, and you know him well as also because he's a he's a guy that's always raising his hand. Yeah, I, I can help out. Servant yeah, leader, yeah. treats me like a son, uh, amazing man, absolutely. So so yeah, no, we uh, we got a lot of experience with this guy uh, today. We welcome my buddy Paul Darley. Paul, hey right, Gary, thanks to, thanks for uh, having me here today. Thanks for being Wasn't here. sure if I was the right candidate, but after you, after all those nice accolades, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot more than that. We'll we'll be we'll be bragging up on Paul the whole time here because no, we know so much about you. But uh, you know, you are uh, you know it's it's funny because on these so far and for the first 30, 40, 50, they're going to be people that I know pretty well. Yeah, right? sure. And and I consider a lot of these people good friends. And and uh, but I can't I can't take this lightly. I, I consider you one of my top ten friends, and I, I learned about top ten and top twenty and top fifty and top one hundred from my buddy Paul Darley. So you know, in in life, Q, you know, when you got uh, you got this list of friends you grow, we're all ble- we're all blessed to have some good friends from the yeah. from the, the friends we grew up with, the friends we went to high school with. You know, I still got some really good friends I went to high school with and grade school with, right? Um, and you get you 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 accumulate this list of friends, but who do you spend the most time with, right? And, uh, and it's a question that some of us are afraid to answer, you know. It'd be like, Q, you know what, man, I, I can't get out with you this weekend because I'm, I'm going out with my, a few of my top ten friends. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're, you're number 22 right now. And, and if you were in the top ten, you'd probably be included. But you're not. And, and hopefully you don't feel too bad about that. You know, but, again, you know, you can't – got to have enough guts to be able to do this. And there's one person in my life that's got the guts to do that, and that's Paul Darley right here. And uh, so he's taught me that. I, I've actually – I've got about my top 20 right now. I don't have my top 50 or 100. Maybe I don't even have it more than 20. But, but bottom line is it's, it's, it's actually a really good way when you, when you think about uh, uh, organizing your life and who you're going to spend the rest of your you know, time with and stuff. Why wouldn't you understand who, who the friends are that you love the most that, that, uh, that you want to spend the most time with, right? So Paul does this. Paul, you, you know, let's start out with that because it's so fun to, to – Well, you know, you've got to be a little careful with it because a lot of people are offended by it and, it, and don't uh, – but you're exactly right. It's all about prioritizing your life and knowing who, where you want to spend your, your time and who you want to spend your time with. Um, 
you know, today? Is it family? And, and are you, you know, are you spreading yourself too thin? And just as you're, um, you know, we all have a finite amount of time uh, to do work and spend time with family and friends. And, uh, and, I, and I find in particular, women find it to be particularly offensive. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure why, but they, they do. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of guys do as well. But there are folks who come to appreciate it. And it's, it's a little bit odd. I'm, I, you know, Heidi and I, my wife Heidi, she and I uh, have described myself as quantitatively quirky. So I do everything <laughs> relative to a scale of 1 to 10. Hey, how's your life on a scale of 1 to 10? You know, um, just really everything in my life has this, this scale. Um, and I'm not quite sure where it comes from. It obviously is innate in me. And so it was very natural for me as I grew older uh, to just kind of number my friends. Kind of as a funny thing. You know, I have this, this top 10 party every year I take all, or every other year now, since Heidi made it go to every other year, um, you know, where we go on, you know, down to Florida or whatever, and, and we have a good time. And it, it really, uh, and I just, it's really for fun, but at the same time, it does help me prioritize my time and let me know who I want to be with. Well, I'll tell you, it, it's actually um, a little bit frustrating for me because you're, you're invites go out too late i couldn't make it the last two times and both times you said raybine you're dropping back down and you're, you're not gonna make the top 10 i think you, you might be 11 12 15 i'm not sure there but you, you missed it again i said well, paul if you invite me like at least a few weeks ahead of time it'd be it, it would help well i can always but, do a stand in there you, you go me. we'll I keep you my cue but uh you know i i think that's uh, that's really cool actually and you do it in a way that that isn't offensive in my opinion at all and and it's a lot of fun you know you've got you've got people that understand that that uh, they're, they're great friends of yours, and, they, and and I know you're in the top of their list as well, just like you are mine. And it, and it's fun because you it, it focuses your attention. And yeah. I think you, actually, you know, I, I believe in the eighty twenty rule, right? It's a little bit like that, um, a little more precise, I think you are than that. But but I think of customers, I think of friends, I think of your closet organizing, you know, eighty twenty. What 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 friends do you want to spend the you know, twenty eighty? What spend what what twenty percent of your friends do you want to spend eighty percent of, of your friendship time with the rest of your life? Sure. What clothes in your closet do you spend eighty? You know, you wear eighty percent of the time, and uh, you know, that 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 are probably less than twenty percent of your clothes. Get rid of the rest, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, customers. I mean, we have, we have great customers across the board, but you know what? We have probably less than twenty percent of our customers deliver over eighty percent of the value of our businesses. Sure. And and if we don't treat them a little better, right, we're probably not going to have them very long. And and so I, I believe the focus on that. That that you know my my opinion the top twenty percent, but like you you know your top ten friends top twenty friends and otherwise I think it's cool. And the secret with the eighty twenty is really to you know treat everyone fairly not equally, you know. So you want to treat all you want to treat that customer who's in that lower twenty percentile thirty percentile treat them fairly and respectfully, mm -hmm. but you just don't want to give them the same type of VIP service that you you know you're going to give your and, your and, top ten customers. And, and they'll, they'll they'll some of those will rise to your top twenty percent in those VIPs. Absolutely. And if you can. don't treat them fairly. They never will. Right? That's right. That's right. Um, by That's identi right. identifying those that can is important. Thank and, you. and also the numbering thing. You know, so in my life, it's it's separated in my mind by these silos or these buckets. So I've got buckets not only for friends, but for for family and for business and mm -hmm. for God. You know, and so I go to wherever you know that bucket is on a scale of one to ten. I can visualize these buckets all the time. And so if I if my you know family bucket is down, I'll call a family dinner and we fill that bucket up and get it back up to which 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 God is in the top. Thing? Which one? <laughs> well, no, yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm saying with respect to my relationship with God, hey, I'm do I need you. to step this up a little bit? You know, and it's interesting, Gary. We start off all of our most of our YPO meetings. We're together in the same forum once a month or so. It's and, and as I check in with people, hey, where's your life on a scale of one to ten? Q will also our our rule. Uh, is someone if you're below a seven, you got to talk about it. You know, so somebody could have somebody can very quickly go from being a nine to. 
to a four, you know, maybe they have an illness in their family, a death in their family, whatever it is, and it gives them an opportunity to, uh, if they're under, if they're under a seven, to to talk about that and get that off their their yeah. mind and get help. And if and if you don't have that conversation, like you said, Paul, if you if, if you don't have that conversation up front, you really don't know. People yeah. aren't, aren't going to yeah. come on and say, yeah. you know, my life is a two yeah. right now, yeah. right? But if right. You, if you have the conversation, people think they reflect about the last month or two months since they've been together. And they, they, you know, they can tell you you're pretty close whether they're a 9.5 and, you know, this guy goes to a 9.876 and, uh, and he has a reason for every one of those uh, points within within that rating. Uh, I think we should move on. But we, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> We've right. this one. All right. So let's, let's go into, uh, you know, family quick. I mean, I, sure. I, what, a, what a great family to explain. You know, tell, tell us about uh, that awesome. Yeah. So first off, I work. So I run our 110 year old family business with an executive team that consists of my brother and uh, and two cousins. And they, along with the rest of my family, appointed me as uh, president uh, when my dad really couldn't make the decision in 1997. Uh, actually, my brother and my cousin recommended that that I step up and, and run the family business at that point, based primarily on my organizational skills and communication skills. So um, so I've been entrusted with that responsibility. Um, and so our our business is 110 years old. I'm third generation. There's 15 of us in the third generation who own the business, nine of whom work in the business. And then at a, uh, so, and I came, I was seventh out of eight kids growing up. So I grew up in a large uh, Catholic uh, West Side, uh, River Forest, Illinois, kind of an upper middle class uh, area. But I was raised uh, thinking I was a ditch digger. I mean, I was certain we were the <laughs> poorest family in town, you know, and had to work for everything growing up. So I can't really, you know, I love the name of it. And I, I can't really, I had a little bit of a silver spoon, but I never knew I did. I certainly never felt I did, uh, but I certainly had privilege that that, uh, you know, that helped uh, where I am today. I married my high school sweetheart, Heidi, who's the love of my life. We've been married together 32 years, and uh, she primarily has raised our three kids as I've traveled the world and grew our business over the last 30 years. But uh, amazing woman. Two of our daughters got married this summer, and our youngest is a school teacher four blocks away from our house wow. uh, in Elmhurst. So living the living the American dream and all all good, and two nice uh, son-in-laws who, uh, who just came into our family, so... Great family. You, you do have an awesome family. I was blessed enough to be around the, uh, those weddings and everything else. And gosh, I, I, you, know, you you exude family. I mean, uh, and not it's not just you. Your direct family, your your family that's in your business with you, your friends. I mean, it's like you don't know who family is and you're, when you're around you and all those people. But it, it's a blast. Um, when, let's go back. Let's go back to you know we talk about the ditch digger thing, and, and usually there there are a lot of gritty stories, right? And and I and I look at a lot, a lot of my friends that I, that I get to know as leaders in business. Either they got grit because they 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 grew up in a tough environment, is in a poor family, whatever, and they and they and they they're, they're not afraid to get beat up, or they get beat up and they bounce right back. You know, Paul, I've I've got a, a bunch of friends, and and not it's not really common, but a bunch of my friends that are successful in business, they they almost created their own grit or they had grit even if they grew up with money and you're one of those right i mean the story the stories of you riding your bike uh from from uh, river forest to lake geneva at a young age with your seventh buddies, grade yeah, seventh one grade. buddy yeah left with, at two o'clock in the morning so i mean you're all about grit you're a gritty guy and, I, and i've got other friends like you that that actually do things to establish grit even that, that you know that realize they didn't have it early on and it's and and those people are just as successful and and, and tough and, and entrepreneurial in business as those that they grew up with nothing right, but 
but I see where there's a lack of grit. I think there's often a, often a, it's a tougher, it's a tougher road to success in my opinion. Um, so, so when I look at your, 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 how you've been ingrained in, in the, in the family business and, and the story of the family business is a gritty one. It's a cool one. Um, go back to the very beginning and, and, uh, you got to mention that the, the car maker dude that was, that, that had a little bit to do with it. Uh, you know, Ford. The, the, oh, the first, oh, absolutely. The first, I'll go first, back in our uh, fire truck, history. That yeah, type of absolutely. Stuff. Good. Yeah, that's good, Gary. And I'll tell you, first off, I think, you know, in my own mind, and I'm a big believer in grit as well, I think grit is where passion and execution meet. You know, is, is when I think of people who have got that grittiness and that drive and the eye of the tiger is what I've yelled at my kids all their life. I mean, whether they're on the soccer field or going out the door to school that day, you know, it's eye of the t- you know, you, nobody's going to give it to you. You got to go out and get it and, and all of that. And I think that was, uh, you know, some of it was maybe birth order and, and all the rest. But going back to our company history, yeah, my grandfather modeled our company, um, founded it in 1908 after he, start, after he had started two other companies and sold them both very successfully before he was 32 years old. So he started our company at age 31 in 1908 and modeled it after Sears Roebuck's catalog, which mm-hmm. started here in Chicago in the 1890s. And if you look at the Sears Roebuck's catalogs at the turn of the century, um, the 20th century, you, you would you would actually see the, the uh, how much they look like our old catalogs is really, it's really uncanny. So, uh, and, and, Ch- and Chicago was the heartland of America. And that, that's why Sears and Roebuck were all located here because they could get train transportation very easily into and out of Chicago. So sure. it made a great place for um, for businesses, mail-order type businesses to survive. And so uh, he sold those catalogs or delivered those catalogs to municipalities. They were firefighting, uh, police, municipal supplies, um, all, all across the world. In fact, we, 110 years later, we still print over 100,000 of these catalogs today. But in 1926, he decided he wanted to get into the fire truck business. And he went and he, he uh, took a train down to uh, Florida and had a very historic meeting with Henry Ford. And back in those days, all of the fire truck builders made their own cabin chassis and so their trucks sold for about five thousand to fifteen thousand dollars and in 1926 my grandfather introduces a complete fire truck on a model t chassis you could get it any color so long as it was red and you know and and for six hundred and ninety dollars so yeah so so all of us you talk about disruptive technologies like there's something new you know this was truly disruptive so and he was selling them through this catalog in fact we've got the original uh fire truck the the first one we ever built is in our headquarters here in uh uh, just five minutes from here in Itasca, Illinois. So, um, so, so this totally ups- disrupted the market, and all of these fire truck builders said, "What are we going to do about this Darley company?" They said, "Well, we know what we'll do. We'll go to the pump manufacturers and tell the pump manufacturers if anybody sells Darley a pump." Everybody else in the industry will blackball that company. So this is before the Clayton Act of 1931, uh, which my grandfather was actually part of uh, that legislation. So long story short, he couldn't get a pump. He had a big factory downtown Chicago. He went and he hired the chief engineer from uh, American Steam Pump Company, one of our suppliers at the time, up in Battle Creek, Michigan. And this gentleman, Pete Yates, said, look, I'll come and build these pumps for you, but I want to do it in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, where he had originally, where he had grown up. The lumber industry had pulled out of there. There's a good surplus. German craftsman and all. And uh, long story short, and my grandfather liked to hunt and fish. It's 340 miles, you know, from Chicago, but my grandfather liked to hunt and fish. And they said, let's do this deal. And so, um, he began we began building our own fire pump in 1932 wow, wow. yeah so it was it was it was a it was a uh, you know and until that time we our our family and our our 
my father, you know, came on board in 1950. They kind of all held a grudge about the only way you could get a Darley fire pump was on a Darley fire truck. During World War II, we built hundreds of them for the military, and we built thousands of pumps for the military. And these, uh, at the end of the war, all of these trucks were left all around the world, and that became a springboard for our international business, which today is about 50% of our, our fire business. Today, we're a defense contractor. We're with $300 million in sales in 2018, or just over that. Um, we've got, um, and, and so about half of that is, is defense contracts, mm-hmm. and the other half is firefighting. And of the firefighting, roughly about a half of that, roughly 50% of that business uh, is export today. So wow. we have offices in uh, cool. China, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and Nigeria. Going back qu- quickly, uh, what did they, did, was there a time you were froze out, or there was a time that the, the those fire truck companies froze you out, your your, your grandfather out of business for a bit um, before yeah. you get until you get the, the the pumps designed and ready and, and 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 these trucks or no? Yeah, I'm not quite sure what happened there. I think people just stayed with us, and because it was a mail order and because it was you know one tenth the price or less of a normal truck, people stuck with us during that transition period. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'm sure it was a tough time. He, my grandfather actually ended up dying in 1937, if you can imagine. So he was he had married my grandmother, who was his 19 year old secretary when he was 50 years old. Okay, oh. so no, you don't be laughing about that. That's my grandmother. No, but so so and that he had seven kids by the time he was 57, and and uh, actually had a heart attack at our house at Lake Geneva, where you've been, and which is still in our family today. And um, yeah, so um, so your grandmother, uh, my grandmother, rate, my grandmother ran that. Business business you know wow, i mean she hired awesome. a she hired a general manager who was a who was a relative who ran it at her behest uh you know for many years he did a wonderful job and uh, joe o'reilly was his name but yeah but she really ran that business until 1970 i mean she was the sole owner of it really till 1970 wow yeah. and then, and then uh, how long did you how long was she in, uh, in your life did you, she died oh now? yeah no she died when i was about 23 years old after so you college got to know her well. oh, yeah, oh she was a real strong influence in all our lives That's man. she awesome. was a tough cookie she was an eastern european she had come to america at age six with her eight-year-old sister and they had about uh, 13 dollars in their pocket and so told get to chicago you've got some relatives there and try to find them so she had a long runway in the she business did, yeah yeah I mean, think yeah. about think about that talk Wait, about grit oh my gosh she had grit Unreal. Again, think about the fact that that business started that far back, but you still had really the the first generation right in the business until seventy. 72, you said? Uh, second generation. Oh, yeah. sec- oh she yeah, was the my- second generation. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, the yeah, first, excuse me. A, yeah, sure. She was first. She was she first was, generation. Yeah. So that's amazing. That is amazing. That. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, wow. You threw me off. Wow. I thought you met my father. Think about yeah. that. That's first, you know, the, the, you know, your grandmother from the first generation, your grandfather, that was still still running the business in the business 72. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. And, and, and she was president. I mean, I, I can't say she was in every day. She had an office, but she, I mean, mo- major decisions and mm-hmm. she ran it very frugally, you know, and our company, it's still a, that frugalness is still a very um well it's not you won't find it on our laminated core value cards and all it, it definitely is present in our business on how we you know uh, and, I, and i think it's one of the main reasons why we've been able to survive 110 years i mean we, we you know we don't go out and really build a building or buy a company until we've got the the money available right. kind of off to the side so uh, we've always we've never really taken on debt until recently because we're our business is growing incredibly so we're just you know working capital is kind of the name of the game but 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 I, in term, but outside of the working capital, we've never, you know, we've got a very strong balance sheet, and and I and as I look at inheriting that strong balance sheet and inheriting that sense of um, fiscal responsibility that was passed down and inculcated into our company all these years, you know, we go and and, and make sure that. Uh, 
that we're not living lavishly and things of that nature. Yeah. So, so you know, Q, you asked me this question um, a couple a couple of podcasts ago about about raising capital and all that. Yeah. I think you asked it to me. You know, raising capital and 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 when do you raise capital and is it is it necessary always? But I mean, here's an example of of an old school business that did it on their own dime and and you know their own cash flow. Right. Yeah. And 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 uh, and still today, where you you know you can go find money with no problem. I mean, as strong as you guys are, this family business, as strong as you can go find money with with no problem, and lots of it to to expand crazy if you wanted to. And you're and you're growing at a, at a pace that that's not common, in my opinion, of a bus- business, a family business, that that does it all on their own dime. I mean, your growth has been incredible. Yeah, we're, we're um, up seventy percent this year. That's wow. it, just seventy percent. Awesome, yeah, just seventy. Just, just, uh, seventy-one. I don't want to break. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I've got to stay humble. That's but that's that's a lot of uh, it's, it's government contracts. It's it's mostly low, lower margin business and what we're typical sure. typically enjoy. But we uh, what we're it's a tide that raises all ships, and it's it's actually. Uh, you know, um, it, it's taken a while. It's taken most of this uh, defense contracting business. We landed our first defense contract of modern day about ten years ago, and and uh, it it was a lot of investment. For the first five years, we lost over a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. As you know, we knew we were going to as we ramped up and added salespeople. But now we've got over twenty five outside sales guys out there and women, ninety five percent of whom are veterans, doing just an incredible job. And we're starting to build the vendor relationships, and people are coming to us and saying, "Hey, wow, this Darley." Company company is they're not like all the other defense contractors out there they're a family business they're both a manufacturer and a distributor you know they, they've got really strong values uh, they're easy to work with mm-hmm. and it's it's really been a uh, breath of fresh air for them and uh, and for us so it's, it's been great so I, so I also look at your business Paul is, 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 is I mean how challenging it is for you to be the CEO of a family business with so many family members within it but yet the but also the 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 awesome experience that it is for you to, to be able to lead this this great company be the leader of this family business that that has so many so many great relationships of family within it. So I mean, I've been around your business to see so many family members they're like just as pumped up as you are, you know, you know literally pumped up, yeah. right? As you are about this awesome business. Explain explain the the pauses and the negatives of that, right? Cuz there's a, there's a lot of both. Yeah, there is. I th- you know, I, there's an old adage, family business can be the best of business or the worst of business. And in our case, it's clearly the best of business. I mean, you know, we uh, have some, you know, we have, we're real students of family business. I mean, I, I still go to Northwestern for at least one or two seminars a year. And in fact, my daughter, Audrey, and I put on a, a, a program there each year. And we've uh, even taught over at the University of Dublin, Ireland. She and I, uh, they paid for us to come over last year. It was, thank you very much. It was a nice trip. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we, you know, we're, we're always learning. But, you know, we have basic covenants, you know, that we live by. We don't let small things um, grow into big things. You know, we try not to, we never go to bed mad at each other. We, you um, you know, try to be have transparency and mutual respect. So just as we have our own company core values, we have a company constitution that lays out our family core values. It also lays out the rules for family participating in the family business. You've got to work outside for three to five years. You, you know, you're going to be held to uh, a higher expectation than everyone else. You're going to be paid market rates. Um, all of these things that are typical family best practices you know we have family meetings and family retreats um, and we uh, edu- start education in the company at a very young age uh, we teach fiscal responsibility to the kids um, you know so and and we're we've got fifth generation now uh, who will not be that far off from you know they'll be in this business before we know it so of, of the uh, fourth generation there's 35 seven of whom uh, are now active in the business of the of the thir- excuse me there's 31 excuse me 
seven of the 31 are now active in the business. Okay. And, um, and what we realized about 10, 15 years ago was that with all these 31 horses, you know, sitting in the, in the bar and we're ready to, you know, that we needed to grow this trough to feed them all. And we weren't going to be able to feed mm-hmm. them just with this fire yeah. business because the fire business is shrinking. When you and I were kids, a fire truck would go out of a station. It'd be responding to a fire about 40% of the time. How often would you guess Quentin responds to a fire now? If a fire truck, you see it going out of a station, I don't want to put you on the spot. You want me to answer? What you just did. I'm just all right, I'll, all right, okay. Well, it, it's it's actually less than 4%. Okay, I was about to say, I don't Yeah, really so, so, so there's, you know, there's everything sprinkled. There's better electrical codes. There's right. fewer smokers. Everything's flame-resistant materials. There's no, there's really no, other than wildfires that we're experiencing this week, terrible in California and other things, that's really the only gross segment. I don't like to use that word necessarily when it comes to fires, but for our company, when you're mm-hmm. in that business, that that's the really only gross segment. And we do very well in that. So we realized we need to, we needed to reinvent our business if we were going to be big enough to support all of these horses who were going to come up and, and join us at some point. So Absolutely. What what size was 97, 98, Paul, that you yeah, took on the 97, role? yeah. What size is the business then? We were about $12 million, I think. $12 million. Yeah. So so it took all those years in, yeah. in this family business to get to $12 million, which is, you know, is a great business, to, to the last yeah. twenty. Yeah, last twenty we've grown three hundred million. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. Big. That's pretty good well, growth. Well, there's two. There's two. If um, man, there's two. Uh, what I'm looking for, success principles that I'm realizing that you've like, whether your your grandfather implemented it and and one of them is uh, I would say it's delayed gratification. You call it fiscal responsibility. That's what I hear. Delay. Uh, like you yeah, all yeah. knew how to delay. You know, from that perspective. But I think the biggest important point is knowing your history. Um, I feel that a lot of people don't realize that history is extremely important for success because you are, you appreciate what you have so much that you're willing to execute efficiently and effectively. So kudos to you all because also what's what's the percentage of a, a company going or leave, a, it's less a, than two percent less than two percent for yeah. a generational you know the fourth generation yeah, yeah. less than two percent it's less than two percent it's, it's about a half a percent for fifth for fifth generation and you are pr- obviously going to be part of that you know so it's 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 good to see um i and, and i guess a question that i do have is like how did you all i mean and you kind of already talked about it if you can allude to some of the things i read your book before as well and I, I can't wait to talk about that but going from 12 to 300 million Again, a lot of those things that you are already doing, how did you all get some of those things? Innovation, right? Like how is it? Innovation. You know, this year, um, over 60% of our profits are coming from products we didn't have two years ago. Wow. wow. Yeah. So we, yeah, 60% of our profits this year from products we didn't have two years ago. Amazing. So we've totally reinvented ourselves. We, and innovation is one of our core values as well. So we, yeah. So, and next year it's probably going to be no different. So we invest heavily in R&D. You know, we're always guided by Wayne Gretzky's adage. Wayne Gretzky, you know, he wasn't, when he was asked, you know, hey, Wayne, you weren't the fastest skater. You weren't the best stick handler. But, you know, how was it that you broke all of Gordie Howell's records in half the time? He said, you know, I never went to where the puck was. I always went to where the puck was going to be, right? So so in all of our thinking, we're constantly saying, all right, where's this fire puck or where's this, where's this uh, military puck going to be going? So we, you know, and if our main competitor, say, is aligned with, you know, uh, Coke, we want to be aligned with Pepsi. But we really want the energy drink we really want that next new hot product mm-hmm. that's coming up <laughs> yeah. that's really the one that we want to get out and propel past the coke and and whatever it's funny we use that metaphor i've been using that metaphor for about 
10 years since we got into this division. Right now, one of our hottest selling products is water in a box. We're selling boxed water, just like you buy wine boxes, to the U.S. military. They, if they try dropping water bottles out of a C-130, about 40% of them break on impact. Wow. We give them a wine, water in a box. They don't. Less than it's less than one half a percent of the uh, boxes and water bags get damaged, but now they're also not dealing with all the recycling. They actually their shelf life goes from six months in a bottle to three and a half years in a bag, wow. and uh, and the, it, they're able to put thirty percent more into a into a plane. And as as the military is now moving to these forward operating bases and smaller platoons, these water eardrops are have become really critical. So, uh, look, it doesn't have to be completely revolutionary. Water in a box, you know. I, probably came up with actually Kevin Sofin one of our young business development guys came up with the idea but but we're, we're continuing to um, you know innovate it doesn't have to be something radical a lot of our innovation can be something that is um, you know incremental um, so so when I when I think about that innovation is key to our success as well Paul so we're always thinking that way but sometimes sometimes we're at the bleeding edge and and doesn't stop bleeding right so how do you, how do you identify stuff that you that you're going to invest in innovatively like and, and and say this the odds are of success are 80 percent yes this one man this i don't believe in this but my team does we're going to invest in it but the odds aren't aren't that good well you're right you know only five percent of new products introduced make it you know that i think probably you know that statistically for any company Mm -hmm. five less than five percent of new products that are introduced make it so what we do is you know we just came off a three-day strategic planning meeting with our management team up at our plant in chippewa falls wisconsin we also have plants by the way in uh, grand rapids michigan and waterloo iowa but everybody but uh, you know one of the exercises that i did at our last uh, management meetings i said to every manager and, and there, we follow a lot of typical brainstorming, not criticizing, things of that nature. But to every manager, I said, okay, if I gave you $10 million today, what would you invest it in, you know, as, as, a, as a business? So, I mean, it's just kind of, you know um, – Thought process, and then we also empower. We've got we, we invest heavily in business development, and and uh, we've got uh, some great young millennials on our team who are, you know, looking for where the puck's going constantly, and they're more in tune than maybe mid fifty guys, fifty year old guys like us, Gary are. But 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 they uh, you know they're constantly looking at you know what what what's out there that we can do to innovate and um, follow that puck. Awesome. Where the puck's be. And 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 we'll, we'll go into that the millennial the millennial team and and, and we uh, and I got a question about that we yeah. we love ours here you know I I didn't understand millennials eight or ten years ago until my my one of my kids started in our you know came into our business and another one of them came into the business right in there and they're they're the they're the ones that pulled me aside and said dad you're not going to keep anybody like me working in this company if that's the way you're going to treat us right and and they 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 started educating me on on what the expectations were. For millennials today, and this is again about eight or ten years ago, and and now we, we we I think we understand them better than ever because of the so many millennials that are on our team, and the fact that that I'm, that I'm listening, and our t- our leader our old leaders like myself are listening to them, and actually actually getting amazing value out of millennial millennials that we didn't really understand we could get right. Um, you know, what, what how do you how do you mesh that in your large organization today, Paul? What does that look like? Yeah, you know, so we're still evolving too, Gary. I mean, it's interesting, Gary. And I exchanged emails early this morning on uh, 
a lot of our millennials who live downtown are trying to avoid that hour and a half, hour to hour and a half commute each day. And, you know, should we get a downtown office? And sure enough, my daughter, who uh, Audrey, who's 30, sent me an email. Hey, here's, here's what Raybines are doing on their downtown office, by the way. I guess uh, she had talked to Austin or something. So, um, so you know, we're always trying to adapt. You know, I mean, it's, I, you know, summer after, summer hours, all these things that are, you know, so anti-110-year-old <laughs> business. It's hard to suck it up and say, yeah, we're going to, you know, let remote working, you know, re- working remotely or set up the Chicago office or summer weekend hours, whatever, summer hours, Fridays off, whatever what it is. What do we call it? Working differently, I think they're calling around here now, right? <laughs> all right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we, you know, I got to say, we're not great at it. We got to evolve with the times. I mean, we're, we're doing it very, you know, step-by-step incrementally, uh, you know, changing things, you know, that, that have been ingrained in our culture for so long that they, they take just time to... You know, to, to step back and say, Let's, "Yep, times are changing. We gotta, we gotta change with the times." It's tough. We, you know, we we own buildings in real estate, but we don't own any. You know, downtown. We rent downtown. The space you're talking about. And it's like, man, we got extra space. I got forty, fifty thousand square foot of vacant space in this office building we're in right now, uh, and that that you know it came, became open in the last year. We need to get this filled. Get your butts back in here, in Schaumburg, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, absolutely not, Dad. We can't find the talent in Schaumburg at this point. And when you can, when you tell us we can, we'll think about. It. Otherwise, downtown, we're finding the talent we want in this technology business and these businesses where they want millennials, right? So again, again, you. you you push back, but as long as they can prove it, you can measure the success, and they can prove it. Yeah, you know, nothing we can say. And I, I think, a lot, and I think a lot of people need to realize when it comes to millennials, we want flexibility and stability. I mean, that just that's really one of the biggest mm-hmm. things. The more flexibility we have with a stability with a stable organization, gives us the opportunity to well, what we like to do, change the world. You mm-hmm. know, so um, and that's really extremely important. It, it, it gives us that that feeling of freedom, right? Um, you know, you, if you think about um, if you think about ugly, I come from a background of, of recruiting. I used to recruit for Bank of America, thank God. But I um, and I appreciate where I came from. But even every single day, just seeing it, I was out of it sometimes because I'm like, all right, I'm, I got to be here every single day at the exact same time every single time, and it becomes mundane, right? And we just really just want to go out there and just kick butt. And if we can have the flexibility to do it and give value to a stable organization, um, it gives us a lot of. It makes us feel like we're doing something important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, we find that as long as, long as we, we, you know, Austin, Janelle, you, yeah. like the millennial, millennials in our company, understand how to measure success without without saying, you know, eight o'clock to six o'clock. I want your eight o- <laughs> your salary. I want your eight o'clock to six, not eight o'clock to four or five, right? Instead of that mentality, it's it, 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 now today. It's like, hey. You know what? What you know? When will you be in the office? So we know um, what are you going to be doing outside, and, and 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 then they figure out what to measure on, right? The metrics are very important, and how you measure. And I think millennials like like that, and they're they're cool with it. And as long as you got you're they're in roles that can be measured easy enough. It's no no problem, right? Well, yeah, so long as you can continue to take care of your customers. There's certain things that well, need, you that's know. part of the measurement. We're, right? we're, still, we're still part of a telemarketing company, and we need people behind the desk. So yes, it creates yes. this, you know, geez, how come all the young guys are working downtown or not coming in? And, you know, I'm here working 8 to 6 every day and feeling unappreciated. So, you know, it's how you balance right. these two um, you know, particularly in these older cultures. Same thing. So we have engineers, we have estimators, we have, we have project managers. They can't work from from anywhere, right? They, right. They're on the jobs. They have to be, right? Right. So, you're, so one of the biggest measurements for us is measuring that the customer, uh, you know, customers' uh, appreciation or not, or not, right? If they if they like what's going on and 
We're good. If they don't, then we have a problem. But but you're, to figure out who who can do it, who can't, is is a challenge. And then describing to your team why they need to be in the office for that you know eight or ten hours or twelve hours a day when many of them aren't. Yeah, right. So that's fun. But it's it's all it's all it's all fun. And, and you know when you think of the, the, the gen, you know generations and the changes in, in from one to the other for you, Paul. You know from for the, now you're in the fourth and mm-hmm. the fifth generation. What's it going to look like? Two generations from now, yeah, right? You know, are we going to have office buildings then? Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure, right? Mm. They're, they're going to be a lot smaller probably if we do. Um, Perhaps, yeah. So, so when we think about uh, the the um, you know your your road to success personally, Paul, and we and, and we look at uh, you know you're 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 educated at some great institutions. Um, you know, you've you've done a, you, you seek out on a constant basis, from what I know, you know, ed, more education in your industry and leadership. Um, you're one of the best at that. Tell me about your education and where you feel you got the, the most benefit as a leader. Yeah, great, Gary. Um, you know, so I went to parochial, went to Catholic grade school, high school, St. Ignatius, uh, grade school, a block away from my house at St. Luke's in River Forest, uh, where my family had, you know, my grandfather had donated the altar in 1920. So really strong, real roots there, always kind of feeling a sense of uh, belonging, you know. Uh, Ignatius, I went there primarily because my mother wanted me to not live this sheltered suburban life. She wanted, St. Ignatius was a real melting pot. It had the wealthiest kids from Lakeshore Drive to the, to you know, the poorest kids in the housing project. And it was really a great, um, and, I, and it was funny because I grew up, Gary, we had a Republican sign in our house and a Democrat sign in our house. My, <laughs> my father was the Republican, my mother was the bleeding Democrat. And I mean, <laughs> we would always have every election season, <laughs> which just finished, of course, we would always have two signs uh, in That's front of awesome. our house. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> you know, and so then I went on to Marquette, which was also an urban setting and really allowed me to, uh, I think I gained a lot of confidence, great friends, strong, you know, ethical, the fact that it was a Catholic university was uh, important to me. Uh, my mother was dying at that point. So I, she actually d- uh, died a, a month into my college. So somewhat impacted my decision. And, you know, I wanted to be fairly close to, to home in Chicago. Plus my ACT scores also probably uh, impacted my decision as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, Harvard was kind of out, I think. Um, but, uh, so I was always a B student, you know, but the, um, and then, and then going on to, uh, graduate school at Northwestern uh, through their executive program where you had to be 35 years old and you had to have 15 years of experience under your belt before they would accept you. Uh, that, you know, learning from peer learning, that was um, a great opportunity as well. So, you know, and then and then just overarching, my father was just an incredible man. He just died uh, earlier this year, but incredible man who uh, his leadership that, you know, the just being around him, it was hard not to... Um, you know, have some of that brush off on you from, you know, not only his leadership, but the way he treated people, he made everybody feel they were the most important person in the room, you know, so, and, and just, you know, just a, re- he talked, you know, he exuded EI before anybody ever heard of emotional huh. intelligence, you know, um, so, and in fact, my book is a tribute to him, and most of the things in there are things that I learned from him over the years, so he probably had more impact than the institution i went to so when you when you think about mentorship he's number one. Oh, clearly number yeah, one. yeah yeah clearly big yeah, big big jim's uh up there too of course big jim leotode yeah yeah he's, he was a great mentor to a bunch of us huh uh where, where where else do you find mentorship today and where where you where do you look in the future yeah right? so you know i've got an incredible board in fact our board was named best board of directors in america last year for companies 150 to 500 billion in sales and wow and, and i'll tell you none of these board members are on the board because of 
the minor <laughs> the minor amount of money I pay them. Uh, which, incidentally, if your listeners are looking at establishing a board, the benchmark for paying them is you look at what your hourly salary is, and you deti- you know all in, and you decide, and and you should pay them that same amount on based on how many hours you expect. So yeah, so that, that's the benchmark on that. But, but, but I have Sam Skinner who, uh, Sam Skinner is on our board. He was chief of staff for president Bush 41. He was secretary to the department of uh, commerce, excuse me, Department of Tra- uh, Transportation, CEO of Commonwealth uh, Edison and U.S. Freight. So he, you know, he certainly gives a lot of guidance. Uh, Stephen Rogers, who was one of my professors at Northwestern, mm-hmm. who's currently a professor, he was voted Professor of the Year at Northwestern 15 out of 16 years in a row. He's currently at Harvard. Uh, I went up to him and approached him actually after my first class. I said, "Oh my gosh, I got to get you on my board." He said, "Paul, let's wait and see if you pass the class." <laughs> and, <we'll go. laughs> uh, and then we have uh, a couple other. Uh, we have Gary Breeze, who's a former FEMA director and executive director of the International Association of Fire Chiefs. And then I've then for the last five years, I've had a military representative. So I've had uh, uh, Peach, General Peach Schoomaker, who was chief of staff of the United States Army. I had wow. Joe McGuire, who was head of the Navy SEALs. Uh, and and, and both, uh, Joe just got tapped by President Trump to be on his cabinet to run this counterterrorism. So I just replaced he, him. He to, and he told me he's got no time for him. For he's, I, asked he's, him he's should, I asked him if we should keep the seat warm. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, no, we, so we actually replaced him with a gentleman, uh, 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 Ray Palumbo, General Ray Palumbo, who is just a he's a cyber expert and drone expert and clicking off a lot of the boxes on things that impact us right now. And then in addition to that, we have a defense advisory board that uh, consists of 10 military leaders who I look to for guidance, including our good friend uh, Ozzy uh, Gillio and, mm-hmm. and uh, John DeBlazio, yeah, yeah. your previous uh, listener. I listened to his podcast last night. It was great. Uh, yeah, so... Um, so, so, I, so, I, so, I, so all as, these people. So all, as you can see, Q, this guy goes small, right? He, he, he doesn't go big. He goes small, right? If he, if he wants uh, to reach out for somebody to be on his board, you know, who, is there somebody uh, in the labor force that might want an extra job, right? Or is, you know, no, he goes after the big whales. No, no, seriously, he goes, yeah. he goes after. Well, and, and and then the emotional intelligence you definitely got from your dad. I mean, for, from the first time I met you, it didn't take long for us to become good friends. You know, you asked some good questions about me, about you know, uh, you know, my hillbilly story. I asked a lot of questions about your your uh, silver spoon story. Yeah. That I, <laughs> yeah. That I, you know, no, bottom lines, we we. we you go deep and you ask good questions and your emotional intelligence is a, is a, is a very high level. And that's why you believe in it so much. And you, and you talk about it so much in a, in, a, in a way that people, people get a lot out of it. And, and, uh, when you, when you, when you think about who you want around you, you're not afraid to go ask whoever, right? Find, find the, the, the general you respect the most, find the, find the CEO you expect oh, the yeah. most. And, and, and you've been great at that. And it, and that doesn't come easy for a lot of people. So it, it, it should though. I mean, there, there's you know, it's no harder to get land the whale than it is. Uh, and I'm not talking about our board members only. I'm just saying in life, you know, it often doesn't take that much more to go after the big deal than it does the smaller deal, or the big, you know, whatever. So, um, how about how about the how about the the wife? I mean, if you looked at his what if you looked at Heidi, you'd say, how did this happen? I peaked. Right? I peaked I mean, at like twenty. Oh <laughs> <Yeah. I>, uh, <laughs> well, no, seriously, you could use. I mean, I shouldn't say it because it's not. I'll was the case, but when you fi- when you find a guy that that, that has a, a a wife, a girlfriend, a wife that that is as spectacular as Heidi, you're saying, oh my gosh, this guy has to be a great salesman. Look at this guy, Paul. <laughs> he has to be a spectacular salesman because there's no way he he, he, he finds somebody like this to, to spend the rest of their life with him, right? Uh, yes. But uh, no, but it, my it, biggest sale. It, it is. It was your biggest sale. But again, I, I just in think that school, in, in life, you know why? You know we we we're, we're on this planet for a short period of time, right? 
why shoot why shoot low yeah. right why not go for the moon right yeah. every time and and if you fall, fall a little shy of the moon you're you're still gonna do probably okay yeah right? that's it that's it well, <laughs> I, well i have a question when it when it comes to um and you said something about asking the right questions. I think that a lot of people, that's probably where their nervousness is, where their fear is. Like, man, okay, what questions should I ask in order to, uh, or even I should ask, because I know Gary's big on, Quentin, you're, a- you're axing me? Are you killing me? Are you axing me? Right? I, no, I like that. I like that. You don't, don't change that. Um, but ultimately, like, is there certain questions that, you already formulated that you know how to build rapport to ask somebody. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a great question, Q. Yeah. And, and um, one of the things, going back to Heidi, to my conversations with Heidi in high school, and I'd call her on the phone, I would write out all the things I was going to talk to her about. I didn't want to be, I, I, and, I, and I still do the same thing today with customers. So if I'm going to call you know, the CEO of Oshkosh Corporation, who's a close friend, our biggest customer, whatever, I've got to call him with a purpose. I, I have written down exactly what I want to talk about. If I'm going into a duck blind with him, like I'm going to be doing in about two weeks here, um, I go into that duck blind. I've got my little notepad of all of the things I want to discuss. And I call them high impact or high EI questions. I'm not going to squander that time talking about the Bears and the Packers, although he and I went to the Bear Packer game recently. <laughs> you know, but no, really. But, I, but my point is, I want to know about, you know, what's keeping him awake at night? Where's his life on a scale of one to 10? What's the biggest, you know, issue that, you know, what, what's, he, what's he planning to do with his family maybe over the holidays that's special? Whatever it is, I don't want to squant. I want to make sure that it's, that they're, that they're questions that are going to deepen our relationship. I call them in my book, I've, I've come up with a, a word called code shifting, which is a word that I, I coined in the book, which means they're building blocks in a relationship that take your relationship to the next level. And you can think of like soldiers bunkered down in like a, you know, in a war fight or something that that's the type of building block that they, um, you know, that bond that they, that they create in that situation is unbreakable, right? So as you can continue to, in any relationship, whether it's with your children, whether it's with a, a business relationship, the more of these building blocks that you can, that you can put together and actually go and solidify and create a shift in your relationship through codes. You know, you might have certain words that you use with friends that, you know, you don't even have to, sometimes you don't even have to, like with Heidi and I, we could just look at each other. We both know exactly what, those are the strongest code shifts. <laughs> well, you know exactly what you're thinking. You just don't even have to, you know, you don't even have to say it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in any event, I, I just think the, uh, you know, not squandering those times is the most important thing. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, making notes and making sure that, uh, you have the best utilization. I mean, Gary came here with a whole list of notes. We haven't even looked at the notes we were going to talk about, which is a wonderful thing. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, okay, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so, so I guess uh, think about uh, how you're going to take this business to the next generation, and and you know, in, in your your leadership today, how do you how do you mentor so many family members and young leaders around you today to make sure that that you know that, that in 20 years from now. Darley's continually growing. I don't know how it can continue to grow at the clip it's growing at, but but gosh, how do you make sure that that as you step down and you, I know you got a long uh, a long road ahead. You want to do this, Tim. You're you're a passionate guy. You're you got you're full of energy like a 30 year old. So I know you're going to do this for another 20 years, probably whatever it is. But either way, as this thing grows to a billion dollar organization, two, three billion and more, um, how do you make sure that that these this team behind you, uh, the, those those 40 year olds, 30 year olds, 20 year olds, they're they're being put in a position to succeed like you were? Paul? Yeah, that's great, Gary. You know. Um, 
So I would say, first off, you know, my, my father always had this adage that said, look, a legacy isn't something that you leave behind. It's something that you build each day. And I even heard Jimmy John say a similar one that my dad had in his quotes as well, is that it's a, it's an honor to the teacher when the student surpasses the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so those type of, so legacy is always on my mind. It's, it's front and foremost all the time with respect to, um, you know, making sure that I, that the baton is ta- passed on to the next generation uh, properly. And just as with my generation, even though I'm chairman, CEO, and president, look, it, this it, in a family business, uh, particularly a third generation where I am, then fourth generation, it's common for these businesses to be run what's called like what's called a cousin consortium. Um, so that's really what we have. There's no uh, one. So most of the decisions, while are, are done in a very transparent manner uh, that take into consideration, in our case, we've got um, all three, we've got three main branches of our business. All three branches are represented on our executive team. So my brother and I, my family had 50% ownership and my two cousins each had about 25%. So, so, so those are the four of us who represent the, the family. We also have a family council that makes sure that we're constantly talking about, you know, and, um, and accepting the best practices for family business. But on a more practical level, um, what I, on a daily basis, we have what we call a G4 advisories. It's all the G4 members, and they have their own little email. And so I copy them on a, just about every significant email in the company, whether, you know, probably this morning they got four emails from me uh, between last night and, and today, just on different things, maybe ideas coming off of the management meeting, or they're just copied. I really, you know, it's just part of this constant ongoing process mm-hmm. to make sure that they're aware of uh, what's going on. You know, empowerment is one of our core values, so they're empowered. I always make it very clear, too, that, you know, our management team, we have 16 members on it, very purposely we have more non-family members than we do family members. So we have six family members and eight and, and nine uh, non-family members on our board, okay. on our management team. So that shows everybody else in the office, like you don't have to be a part of the lucky Darley Sperm Club to, to make it to the top <laughs> of this business. You know, we're happy to, we're going to, you know, you can, you can, we, we um, you know, that, that this is all collective because, you know, there's a lot of skills that our family doesn't possess. Um and um, so it's just kind of, it's it's really um, just constantly involving them in our management meeting. We always have two one or two representatives of the fourth generation who are at our management meeting, um, and then we give them very special, very you know meaningful projects to work on, whether they're compensation plans or HR changes to our manuals, uh, things of that nature. Come up with recommendations on you know particularly things that impact millennials, like we were talking earlier. Q, uh, the, the the decision on the email today relative to a downtown office. Look, you guys feel so strongly about this. You go out and research it, you know, and come back and sell us on it on why this is a good idea. So, all right, now, now I've been around your business enough to see non-family members to be as passionate as your family members. You don't know the difference when you're talking to your non-family members, your CFO, so many people I've been around. They're they're just as amazingly energetic about about the the, the direction this business is and your family members. How do you do that? Because yeah, so you know, that, that's so, what I worry about. So every right? quarter, every every ninety days, I give a very you know, I give a company address to all of the employees. Or their thirty minutes or the state of the company address in February. That's one hour. I tell them pretty, and we do surveys. We do employment engagement surveys and measure just about everything um, that you can imagine in an employee survey. Overall, including a union environment, and about 
90% of our employees responding. We had a 3.3 grade point average last year on a scale of 4.0. So very high. So people are, when we ask them, do you feel you get enough information? 95% of them say, I get the right information, not too much, not too little. Um, you know, are we headed in the right direction? Over over 95% of our employees said yes or pretty much the company's headed in the right direction. So we actually, mm-hmm. and, and it's part of our even five-year strategic planning process, I invite every single employee to be a part of that. We had over 65 employees as part of our five-year strategic planning session five years ago. So, And then they're, they're constantly, you know, we do a board of praise, which recognizes every quarter I send out a board of praise where any employee can nominate another employee to be a part of that. Uh, we do employee profit sharing. So we don't, we, we, donate to that significantly i've created a lot we've created a lot of millionaires at darley just through our profit sharing plan wow so they get it you know i mean they 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 all know um and we just treat people right and they they you know if if they're not right we cut bait pretty quickly and um you know, and if they are right, they get it, or they get right, or they get off. You know, well, and, our, and I, I'm sorry. And our, our employee turnover, volunteer, voluntary employee turnover rate is less than two percent. So that's those are people who just actually leave of their own accord. Wow. Yeah. Well, I wanted to just give kudos to you. Um, I, I know back in April, uh, you gave us the opportunity, and it was extremely a blessing. You did a tour for True Mentors, and we had maybe it was 15 to 20 people there. Some were mentees, and it was an exclusive opportunity time on your calendar and things of that sort. And it was great to n- see a couple things, you know, with some mentors and mentees there. And uh, granted, it was a lot of uh, connection, but it was great for everyone to just be in awe one of you being there personally and giving the tour and the history, but also really seeing exactly what you're talking about, the culture that everyone's there. I didn't know outside of Audrey, I didn't know who was related to you. I didn't, but everyone was there, which is full of life, full of energy. And they, you can see that they love being at Dartley. And um, that's just a testament um, to, to what you're referring to, man. So I, and I'm so excited that you're a mentor, actually a true mentor. It was pretty cool. And I I got a kick out of seeing Audrey at work. I mean, I, I've, I've seen Audrey for, you know, known Audrey since she was like, you know, younger girl for the last 10, 12 years, I guess it's been now. At least. She was a little kid. And, uh, it was, it was really cool to watch her like just, just speak so professionally and and take us through the whole story and everything else. And to see her passion was really, really cool. So it's been 20 years, by the way, 20 years. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah, it does. But uh, all right, so, so when we when we think about uh, your business, Paul, I look I look at you know every business we have, we want to be world class. I mean, our goal is to be world class. And some you know some people like world class. Right? I mean, that's a bunch of BS. Come on, world class. Well, guess what? You know, if we can't strive to be world class, we don't want to be in a business anymore. And so the businesses we have today, the nine companies we have today, really strive to be world class. And a couple of them. We're, we've got a lot of differentiation, a lot of separation between, between the rest of the industry and a couple of our businesses, right? And I look at your business and say, man, it, it's world class. And, and, and you know, for, for you to be able to continue to, to, uh, to, to be there, I mean, you're going to do it for sure. You're in an industry, though, that I find it's a little easier than paving to, to strive to be passionate about world class. Than, I mean, I'm, I'm so passionate about paving, I, I, I bleed black and, and, and white, right? Um, concrete and asphalt. That's just not common. I thought it was yellow you bled. Okay, we keep going. <laughs> In red, yeah. But, but for you, well, those are my colors, yeah. But, but, hey, but, but I look at your business. It's pretty easy to be passionate about the military and serving this military that, that, that keeps us free, right? It's so cool to be, to be able to serve the, these fire departments, again, that keep us safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you got it easy to create the passion, You're in my right. opinion. Yeah. But, but, but again, again, then again, there should, there's a lot more. Maybe the competition's tougher because of that as well. So, you, so 
what do you use to keep this this team you know just passionate as heck about the industry you serve how do you how do you get them to be in touch with this in this 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 industry they serve across the board the the firemen the, the our, our our armed forces right yeah tell me about that yeah you know i well it makes for a very easy story and um and it's not just a story it, it, it truly is mm-hmm. a passion that we that people get and you can tell if they get it or if they're going to be part of that fairly quickly or not right so um and when you when you hire veterans let's talk about that we we probably have hired um i would guess 50 veterans in the last two or three years you know they being in the military coming into the corporate world they're really nervous they don't know you know what they don't know they they come in and they're if they get an opportunity to serve you know where, where they know the industry, you know, and they get to be connected to that community, that military community, they really kind of, the deal sells themselves. I mean, they're, you know, they, they, they have a lot of confidence. They know the, they know all the acronyms. They, you know, they can go and, and um, really be successful, set themselves up for success. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys are, and women are incredibly successful. Um, so I, I think, yeah, just having that overarching ability and I and I show I, I mix not only that um, passion of serving the fire service but I take like and I have a slideshow and in I include in a number of our addresses but shows the progression of our catalog and you see these art deco <laughs> catalog <laughs> covers from the 30s I and the 40s so and cool. the, you go back to the ones in you know 1908 I mean there's really and, and you've got mixed with this passion and this higher sense of service um Look, I, I get it. It, 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 it. I have a leg up on people, but there's also a lot of everybody else in our industry has that story as well. But do they execute it? It goes back to kind of the pa- the grit. It's where passion and execution meet. And so we really, you know, before we got online today, we were talking a bit about corporate social responsibility. And you know, do you do you talk about? You know, hey, uh, what you're doing, helping other businesses and stuff, or helping help, helping as part of your business. As part of your corporate social responsibility, do you talk about your corporate giving? You were Gary, we were having that conversation earlier this morning. So I, you know, yes, we talk about it all the time, and I don't think there's anything wrong. It'd be unnatural not to talk about it. And in this job market today, you know, if there's a coin toss and coming to work for Raybon or Darley, I'm guessing the millennials, particularly if they come from a firefighter or a military family, have got a propensity to select Darley. I shouldn't say rebound versus any other yeah, company yeah, yeah, versus yeah. any other. And yeah. you'd be surprised one out of every uh, 65 adult males between the ages of 20 and 55 is either a firefighter or, or a, uh, a soldier in America. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so absolutely. I, you know, let, let's get into that. I, 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 I see why it is. You know, I understand why it's so easy to work for Darley. I mean, number one, your leadership's awesome. That the environment, the culture is great. Uh, that the, the industry you serve is spectacular, in my opinion. Right. Um, what, and, and, and you and I together really started digging into this corporate social responsibility thing a few what, ten years ago, whatever mm-hmm. it was, twelve years ago, two thousand eight, um, yeah, yeah, so ten years ago. Ten years ago now. So we we started digging into this thing with a few other CEOs that we knew and and started understanding what you know what what who do we want to be, what do we want to look like, and and a bunch of us that were part of that group um, that spent the time on that really really dove into it. Mm-hmm. You being one, us being another. Um, what are the things that that you know you, you know you, you're serving some great causes already just in doing business with with, with the with the groups you're doing business with? What are the things that that you guys find as your causes that 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 you love to get in that donate to and 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 give your time and talent to beyond business? Yeah. So um, you know, as part of our overarching CSR, um, we had a 
an, well, first off, we try to give 10% of our after-tax profits away each year. So that either goes directly to charities or goes into our foundation. I know you, we both, I think, started our foundations about the same time. Mm -hmm. And people don't have to go. We actually, ours is technically a charitable gift, uh, giving charitable trust account. So people could set those up even on their own or under their company, but it doesn't have all the restrictions of being a foundation. You can still call it a foundation. Uh, but in our case, you know, we had an epiphany probably and we were we give to over 250 maybe 300 charities a year um we had this epiphany about um in our guide before we had this epiphany 10 years ago 20 years ago our guideline was like we'll support mostly those charities where our employees have skin in the game if you're on the board if you're going and you're mm -hmm. actually rolling up your sleeves and out you know picking up litter on the highway whatever it is you know with that organization that's those are the ones we want to support writing the check is the easy part right so so that continues to be a, a guideline but our other guideline is um you know we were supporting um, we, we had an epiphany that said, look, we've got to go and give back more to the communities we serve because we were giving a disproportionate amount to churches and hospitals and schools and things that look all important parts of our community. Mm -hmm. And many of the communities we're in are smaller communities and, you know, outside of Chicago where our employees live. So it's important that we continue to support those types of charities. And we do, but more of our directed gifting is going toward military charities towards firefighting charities um more so than ever before and while it while continuing to uh, support um on a larger scale um you know we're, we're giving more to fewer companies we're giving more to a, a handful of uh organizations where our employees are involved or family members are involved or maybe um you know if you've got a family member with diabetes for example we support you know that particular cause or someone with down syndrome we support those a family member with those causes sure. so do you do you feel like that that culturally your your business is stronger since since uh, having a, a corporate social responsibility plan do you feel like you're your team members that and millennial, millennials and really in our in our business more than ever are engaged in our business because of the causes they can be part of serving. Yeah, um, we're fine. That. I mean, yeah, I, I think that and and also just the you know corporate social responsibility goes well beyond just as you know well beyond just writing the checks. It's it's how much paper are you printing? I mean, what do you you know are you turning mm -hmm. off the lights? Are you being energy efficient? Are you going to solar? Whatever it is. So yeah, we're we're being guided by just being good. You know, right now with our water initiatives, you know we've just we just don't need truckloads of water to the American Red Cross for down to Tyndall Air Force wow. Base, truckloads of water after Hurricane Michael. So we've been doing a real lot with the Red Cross and going, when we say, here's where the rubber meets the road, we're, we're doing a lot, not for any purpose of, you know, advancing our cause, but mm -hmm. for really just for helping those who we serve in a more organized fashion. And, and, and we'd like to do it if, you know, we've donated water purification systems into Nepal, into, uh, uh, into Haiti, into uh, two African countries, just in the last couple of years. It's so cool to have the expertise and, and the resources within your business to be able to do those awesome things, isn't it? Uh, it is. Uh, it, I'll tell, here's a small word. We donated truckloads of water, boxes of water to the uh, to Puerto Rico last year. One of our employees, 30-year employee with us, had family in Puerto Rico. They ended up getting one of our boxes of water. How Can you awesome imagine? Is that? that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty cool. So, yeah. Okay, and when when you uh, you think about this corporate social responsibility thing, what I thought about when I was looking at this is, I wish I would have done this when I was a a five hundred thousand dollar year company. Anybody can do it. And anybody can, you know, dedicate that same percentage of their profits, and 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 I believe that you're going to have a better culture than than otherwise. Um, are you, do you feel the same? Absolutely. If you went back 30 years and and started doing this, right? 
no matter what, your your customers align with you better when with this stuff. And again, if if it's only for selfish reasons, right? right then then forget it. You, no, no. If, even if it's only for selfish reasons, I believe it's worth it. Okay. If your 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 customers align with you better than if you don't have a, a plan, your your vendors align with you better, and your and your team members care about the giving. Well, you know, many of your team members, if not all of them, care about what you're giving it giving back to. So I I believe all those things equate to better profits anyway. Yeah. Even, I, even yeah. if you're a selfish son of a gun like uh, some some people might be. Yeah, right. right. No, you're, you're, that, that's great. The only reason to give is because it's the right thing to do, but mm -hmm. I would tell you clearly that what comes in anything in life, whatever you do, good, you know, I mean, karma, good begets good, and, mm -hmm. you know, um, call it what you will, call it God's will, fate. But I mean, yeah, as you give, the, the rewards that come back to you inadvertently are, 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 are way times hey, multiple, the amount. For sure. that, uh, so let's get in the book. Uh, I, I want to go in the book a bit. Uh, I, I, I love the book. It's, okay. The book it's is a, amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a, a book that you threw at me before it was completed to read it, and, and I, I read every bit of it. And, and, and I, Hugh's coddling it right now. I yeah, I, I'm it. actually holding it right <laughs> now. It was funny. It's, um, we act, not funny. I'm, we actually implement this into our, and I said, I was telling you earlier, we implement this book into our organization six months into the mentees um, partnering with True Mentors. So it's a gift from us to them for a couple of reasons. One, the authenticity of saying, hey, look, you have the opportunity to be with a mentor who's within True Mentors who wrote this book, but also has a company who sales is over a thousand percent and they know what they're talking about right so this book is phenomenal um and i read a lot of it so it's pretty awesome so what a is, lot of it a lot of it right, okay. and so so what, what the, so so go ahead the, the, the main the main so let's say the main three or four things that that uh anybody would get out of the book you, you want to go over you, you paul you want to I, I i can tell you but I'll, i'm talking too much what do you, what do you, what did you want people to get out of this book the main three or four things and you wrote it you know i i think the main thing is um you know so let me step back for a second. After I graduated from Northwestern, I had put out the uh, on the survey in 2003, I can't believe we didn't have a sales class. And at the time, Steve Rogers, a gentleman who I had approached asking him to be on my board, uh, he actually was on my board at that point, or very shortly thereafter. And uh, he said, well, why don't you come back and teach the pilot course on sales at Northwestern? So I said, well, absolutely, I'll do it. So I went out, I interviewed a lot of salespeople, I put together this class material, well, presented it, and I never got invited back, okay? <laughs> so that was, that was a, so, but I had spent all this time kind of laying out sold or laying out, you know, what I thought um, were the main premises that I wanted to get across. And then serendipitously, Gary, you and I uh, got taken under the wing through a mentorship program uh, by Big Jim Leotode, who, uh, Jimmy John's father, who ended up starting our chapter and decided he wanted to bring nine CEOs, nine or 10 CEOs together under a, a new type of forum protocol using emotional intelligence and so and that was really that was in 2009 I believe and then mm -hmm. and and uh, that really resonated with me partially because I scored so low in some of the uh, areas of emotional intelligence particularly the self-regulation which I'm always you know we're all a work in progress right but I mean you know I, I continued to I continue to work on on that um, but and then from that I learned about authentic leadership and, and I and I was exposed to through a lot of things. I, whenever I have, have an opportunity to be around a leader, I'm always focused in on what do I really like about that person? What are they doing well? What do I not so much like? You know, what do I want to make sure I'm not doing? So, you know, these could be religious leaders, civic leaders, business leaders, whomever. I'm always trying to suck up and, or not suck, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm always trying to get out of them. I'm always trying to absorb something from that yeah. encounter. Um, I, you know, I watch, I try, I watch, I'm like a sponge. I watch him do this. He's I'm, I'm like a sponge. Awesome, I really, I really awesome. want to, you know, and, and so that authentic leadership with, 
gave me an opportunity. And I, what I realized as I began researching this book is that companies that are run by people who came up through the sales channel are more profitable than companies who CEOs came up through other disciplines, accounting, engineering, operations, uh, things of that nature. And the reason why companies are more successful when they're run by somebody who came up through sales my my book supports this uh, this research or this is supported by the research that shows it's because they get it because they have high emotional intelligence and the big part of EI is the ability to and authentic leadership is the ability to motivate people to get them to see the vision to mm-hmm. get them to buy in and drink the Kool Aid you know it, of your company or whatever it is that you're you're selling and motivate them toward a particular goal that they want to be that they want to say I want to follow this guy or I want to he gets it I want to be with this he's listening to me he's imbu- it, he's taking you know, uh, he's empowered me based on, you know, the direction I think we need to go and, and all of those things that we've been talking about over the last hour. So I really, really, I really, at the end of the day, more than anything else, wanted to bring in the book was designed, you know, most small businesses like ours, Gary, we don't have um, really good formal sales training programs for people come out. Sure. You know, we come in, you know, you get Desmond Clark just started. What you, I don't know, how long was the orientation program? 15 minutes? I mean, <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. So, I mean, you know, we don't have these formal. I've been mentoring from the last, yeah, I know I've you been have. mentoring for the last five, six years. I, I know, know you first. Okay, no, I, you, I know you, you have. But, right, you're right, but we don't have these great formal training. We don't have the benefit of an IBM or these yeah. other places. So I really wanted the book to be a, um, a handbook for them. And then at the end of the day, my key driver was uh, I wanted it to be a, a playbook for our next generation of family because it goes, the last chapter in particular, goes well beyond just the selling aspects of the book. It go, it, and, it, and it's a book about relationships in general, not just selling relationships. Well, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, when I read that book, it, it hit me, you know, right right between the eyes. I mean, that, that the, the best salespeople, they have to sell a vision to the customer, a vision to the solution they're going to solve, right? How are, gonna, how are they going to fix the problem? Just like in business as a leader in business, as a CEO, you better be selling to your team in operations and in, in, in finance, right? How, how are you going to solve the problem? How are you going to, how are you going to, you know, create the solution to solve the problem, and and then what benefit does that give you? Just right. like you're selling to the customer, so that's it's, it. So it's you're you're doing that across the board. And understanding it's business. not about us; it's all about them. Yeah. It's yeah. all about their pain. We only do that after we listen. You know, we only come up with our selling solutions after we really truly listen. Yeah. And a lot of us, particularly males, are not that great listeners. You know, I mean, it goes back to the hunter gatherer thing. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's a problem I've had often, not listening well enough. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, what'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I want to, I uh, lastly, uh, I want to talk about uh, you know, this, this, this country of America and the free enterprise system. You know, I, I, I always like to, like to ask my guests, my friends, you know, you know, could you have done this anywhere else? Could you have done this in a different system, right? And, you know, China's a, 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 you know, got, got a lot, big population there. We should be able to go there and, and, and build businesses 10 times the size we do here. It's, it's 10 times the population, right? India, um, Russia, right? I mean, these great countries with this vast amount of land and resources. Why can't you do it there, Paul? What, 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 put, your, put this business somewhere else. What, what do you think? You know, I've had an opportunity to travel to over 80 countries in my life, and uh, there's no country like America, clearly. I mean, we've got, you know, it goes back to, you know, the, our, our foundings of, uh, you know, 300 years ago on what we were, you know, how we were set up as a country and, the, the you know, our constitution. And, um, and I think more, I think, you know, and I'm always critical, I, I'm all for 
careful to be too critical of our government and being, you know, I'm a big laissez-faire guy, you know, more government can stay off, the better off we will do mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a society and as individual businesses. Uh, I mean, there are certainly, you know, one of the, uh, as I look at our international markets, one of the charts I always look at is ease of doing business in these countries, because sure. there are certain countries in Africa and, you know, South America where, you know, the the you know there's still a lot of bribery and graft and things that go on that we as a business just refuse to participate in. In fact, we make every uh, every international account has to sign off on you know all of our documentation, FCPA, mm-hmm. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, and other things, making sure that they're going to abide. That we make them watch a video and that they're going to abide by all of our rules and they're not going to put us into any type of position that's uh, doing anything that's illegal. But so I think from overall from the United States standpoint, we don't see much. Of that, I've never personally, and maybe I, I, I can't really ever recall somebody coming out and you know, kind of being blatantly, you know, I guess we all get the letters from Nigeria and stuff, you know. You're, you're, <laughs> you're not in the paving business, I know that. Yeah, no. is that right? Okay, yeah. Well, in any event, yeah. So, I, I, I've just never really been, you know, uh, a approached sure. uh, by anyone trying to do that. I do think the more that our government can do with the deregulation that's been taking place under President Trump uh, has been great. I will tell you his duties have had a negative impact on my business significantly. We ship about $25 million a year into China, and wow. our duties on our fire trucks are going up. They just went up 5% September 1st. I've got right now about, I don't know, guessing we've got 30 fire trucks on order. I'm not quite sure that there's a 25% duty imposed on those if they're not wow. in, in, imported into the country by January 1st. Look, we don't. We're, they're not. It's not going to happen. So I don't know what's going to happen. Same thing with fire pumps. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with that uh, with that business. So. Um, we don't input our pumps. Our products are all made in America, um, so we don't import any products for our pumps or for fire trucks from China or elsewhere. So we're not really going to be hurt by the in, by the duties coming into the tariffs coming into the United States. But shipping into China and and uh, perhaps other retaliatory uh, tariffs that are on the rise are going to impact our, our export business. So not all of the things that are happening right now are necessarily. In fact, I would say I'm I'm agnostic or somewhat neutral in terms of the overall tax cuts for Trump based on all of the other things that are taking place. Sure. And okay, one, one, one question I'd like to ask as well is, you know, think about that uh, the 35-year-old Paul Darley. Uh, that, that how, is that about what you were in when you, when yeah. you took the, the seat? Yeah, 34, yeah. 34-year-old Paul Darley when you took the seat of CEO. When you think of if there's anything you could have done from that time to this time that'd be better than you are today and the company better than you are today, is there one thing you would say or one thing maybe you did focus on that, that was a big part of your success that you would recommend to any CEO taking a seat like you did? You know, I at, at the time, I had uh, a few overriding premises. My, my first was don't screw it up. Okay, I mean, you know, a lot, right? And 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 interestingly enough, a lot of people who want you to screw it up inherently, people mm-hmm. want that. Some people, I, I I don't know where it comes from, but I I and I, I but conversely, I also had a lot of cheerleaders and people supporting me. Sure. Uh, number two was watch cash. I'm just totally focused on cash all the time. You know, companies don't go out of business because they because you know, they lose money. They go out of business because they run out of cash. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, I'm very cognizant of, of that. And the last the last premise that I continue to live by is customer service at all expense. So, I mean, look, it, you know, um, 
our advertisement for our company featured my home telephone number. Look, this is Paul wow. Darley's home number. It's a picture of my phone, you know, <laughs> in my house. And if you're not 100% happy with your purchase or you have got a product, I want to be the first to hear about it. Call me instead of somebody else. You know, so... Um, so you, do you ever get any calls on that phone? You know, Heidi made me move the phone to my side of the bed. <laughs> this, was, uh, this was about 10 years ago when we first came out with the ad campaign. Uh, you know, most of the calls were 2 o'clock in the morning just seeing if it was really my number. You know, My, my question would be, did you win the bet? You know, because the firefighters, they work 24 hours on. Or, oh, that's you know, funny. Yeah, so... Um, and it, it obviously would have my cell phone and, and all too, but yeah. So I, I, you know, I get a lot of calls, but just the, just the feeling the customers know that you know they they can have access to me goes a long way. So those would be the those would be the three main. You know, don't go too don't go too far out of your lane, but also don't get too comfortable. So uh, as we've innovated and as we've continued to grow our business i've always looked for both lateral markets where can we get this don't don't stray to you know if, if you look at the um you know a porter's i always do a porter five porter's five forces analysis looking at you know before you go into mark any market you know on the power of the competition and the power of the supplier and the power of the customer and look barriers to entry in terms of uh, you know, right, right down the line, substitutions. But I, um, so I always make sure that I look at Porter's Five Forces, but I also am very cognizant of the business model that lists your, your customers. It's part of, it's similar to 80-20, but selling new products to new customers down in that lower mm-hmm, right-hand sure. right quadrant mm-hmm. is by far the highest, is, is the highest chance of failure. It's the most costly. Um, and so you've got to make, if you can sell current products to new customers, that's good. You can sell, you know, current, if you have your uh, new, your current customers who you can sell new products to, but stay away from getting too far out of your swimming sure. lane. Sure. I mean, it's all about relationships again, right? If you have great relationships of trust with these, with your best customers, right? They're, they're more apprehensive to try something new. And even if you, you're transparent again, you'll say, this is new to us, right? Yeah. We're going to give you a deal on this. It's new to us, but if you'll try it, you know, we'd love you to be one of our, our piloting partners, right? There you go. And, and uh, way better off there, aren't you? I think absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Because yeah. if you fail, you made, you're transparent. If it's not as good as you think, hey, oops, you know, didn't, didn't, they didn't pay a lot for it, um, and, and they're, they're your partners in piloting, right? Yeah, that's good. That's cool. good, Gary. I, love I like it. that, brother. I love it. Um, anything else you got there, Q? What are you thinking, man? We got, man. We got a lot of we squeezed, squeezed a lot of juice out of the. We squeezed uh, a lot out of uh, the this, orange here. Out, out of the orange, out of the fire truck, out of everything. Absolutely, um, got some amazing true takeaways. First, treat everyone fairly, not equally. Um, I've never heard that before, and I, and, but that you made a lot book. of sense. You obviously didn't read all of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the eighty twenty rule is important in all things, so I think that's true. Grit equals passion. It, it, grit is where passion and execution meet, and that, oh, and that was that and that was really good. Um, something that you, I don't know if you knew that you said it. Well, obviously you said it, but innovation doesn't always have to be radical. And I think specifically nowadays we think it has to just be this new thing, just like Uber and Lyft. It has to be so just innovative, and not necessarily. It could be the smallest things that can make you the biggest profit. So that was pretty awesome. Um, ask questions that take relationships to the next level, as you call it, code shifting. Code shifting and yes. code shifting. That's really awesome. Uh, but the big. I think think the biggest takeaway in is because I think everybody wants to leave a legacy. And I think the one thing that you say, le- legacy isn't something you leave behind, but it's something that you build each day. 
And um, that's huge. And I, and I can see you doing that every single day out there at the Darley Corporation. You've actually been doing it with uh, those within True Mentors. And, um, and I just appreciate you, my friend, uh, for, for letting me be in, involved in your life in some way. And I'm going to do, do all I can to become part of the top 10. You know, I want to get that invite. I need to get that invite. So uh, I need to, I need to move not, up. It's on. not easy. I, I, obviously. Believe me, I, I've been working hard for well, it. Well, first thing, I need to accept the invites that he gives me. So once I get an invite, everything is off. You <laughs> there, know? You so there you go. I appreciate you coming, though. Uh, a lot. Back, Paul, thanks, Paul, thanks a lot, brother. I, I love you, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Love you. And man. we'll see you all next time on Ditch Diggers CEO. See ya.
If you enjoy this show, please share it with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man We're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck Rolling down highway Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO.